0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Giannetti. A little bit of baseball, a lot of bit of football. It is NFL Draft Week. Believe nothing. I'm going to give you zero rumors this week. I promise. Uh, that is for plenty of other outlets to give you. I promised a little baseball off the top. There are look. There's some extensions to break down. We did a little bit of that last week with cousin Dan. I'm going to continue to do the work on that in terms of in-season versus off-season there's a lot of free agency discussions to be had. Uh it's a marathon. So we're going to we're going to slow play all of that conversation and kind of take it as it comes at us. But we're almost a month in now. We're about 3 or 4 days here from being a month in. So not the biggest sample size, not the worst sample size. Uh you know, we've started to import some more data to see where things kind of stand. I can give you our representation of what the best values are right now in the game. You're going to be 0% surprised based on, you know, if you've been following the standings and at least following some sort of semblance of this season so far, things are a little bit upside down, right? If we just look at win percentage, Rays, Pirates, Brewers, Rangers, Orioles, that's your top five. Okay. (laughs) It's early there's a lot of a uh, lot of time for the big boys to get it right, get healthy. I expect some of these smaller markets to to remain. Uh, I think we've talked Tampa enough here. Tampa's going to stick. Cousin Dan seems to think the brewers will stick until they don't. And once they don't, they're going to sell. So invest in however you need to in that regard. Uh, all of us here at Spot Trek are pretty invested in the Rangers from a Friendly gambling wager standpoint. So the fact that they're sitting here at at a point six six seven in a tough division, which is going to get tougher. You know everything's going to kind of grow into itself this season. But Texas is kind of hanging around, and you know Degrom is up and down. A couple of older pitchers are going to be in and out, but there's a lot of talent there, and I think they got maybe a trade or two left in them as well. So. That's one I would expect to sort of be in the conversation. More wild card than anything else when it's all said and done. But top five right now, Braves are lingering, Mets are lingering, Yankees are lingering, Blue Jays are lingering, Cubs are lingering, Astros are lingering. That's your uh, that's your group right there, right? That's the team. Those are the teams coming in. That the gambling sites, the baseball sites, and certainly us here were, we're heavily eyeing, right? With an emphasis on the Mets, certainly the Braves. And as a somewhat underdog, the Blue Jays, which we talked about last week a little bit, they're just built properly. And I think if these pitchers stay healthy, they're going to hit. If we flip down to the bottom, again, zero surprises. The Nats, the White Sox, the Reds, the Rockies, the Royals, the A's. Let's talk about the A's. I posted a tweet this morning at SpotTrack, something I've been following quite a bit. It is, it is a cherry-picked stat to some. And to others, it's a completely perfect representation of where a baseball team stands because for as many two one-run games as we have, we have eight nothings as well. And, you know, it's the teams that can win the one-run games down the stretch, generally speaking, that have the most postseason success when things tighten up and cool off weather-wise and all the factors kind of come in against you. So I, I like the run differentials for the circus that they can be knowing damn well that you really just have to be slightly positive to be a factor throughout any, any season, right? If you're, if you've got 60 wins halfway through this thing and it's you're plus 60, 65, you're in a good spot. Great spot even. So Texas is plus 60 right now, just to give you a, a microcosm look at where things currently stand. That's a team that I think might be fringy. And uh, 22 games, they're sitting plus 60 right now. Let's talk about the extremes, because obviously those are the, uh, the most fun places to look at. I've ranked everybody through 22 games here, give or take. Obviously, some rain delays have a couple of teams up or down. Tampa Bay still remains at the top after that torrid start that certainly they've come back down to earth from. They're plus 88. Uh, that's 28 more than anyone else in the game. Texas is second at 60. The Cubs are third. And if you've watched them, they're frisky. They can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Uh, it hasn't even warmed up in Chicago yet, so Wrigley Field isn't really a home field advantage just yet. I, I think Cousin Dan might be dead on with that team, that if they can pitch and Stroman needs a new contract and Kyle Hendricks may be back at some point to, to you know resolve the back end of things a little bit, I, I think that team's going to be a factor, at least fringy. Heading down the stretch here, if they can if they can hit like they're hitting right now. Uh brewers are right there with them. I'm not sure the brewers can keep this up, but you know, smarter people than I say so. If we look at the bottom, this is the where everybody's talking about. And I, I can't not talk about this. Okay, the Oakland Athletics, we talked about the relocation situation. We talked we know about their stadium situation, and we know about the team scenario. right? We, every year we have to do a a hack and whack job on their roster because they have either traded massive pieces and or signed overaged veterans to one, $2 million contracts to fill out their nine-man roster, not so much their 26. It's becoming a bit of a shit show, right? Matt Olson, not there. Matt Chapman, not there. Sean Murphy, not there. Really not a pitcher you can rely on. And the data is starting to back it up. Minus 103 through 22 games. 103 runs have been scored against them more than they've scored. That's what that means. That's what run different. It's a plus minus runs. So they have given up 178 and they have scored 75. Now the 75 scored is actually second lowest. The Royals have 73, excuse me, third lowest between Miami at 72 and the Royals at 73. So, they do have a at least a uh, a low ball shot at manufacturing a run here and there but the defense is astronomically bad, historically bad. The tweet I put out this morning referenced the histor- the history behind these numbers. The the largest negative differential for a whole season since 1901 and you have to go back to like 1888 I think the Cleveland Spiders was minus 337. If you just do a simple quick math on, uh, on minus on 103 through 22 games and extrapolate that out to 162, the A's are on pace for minus 758. Now, of course not. But if minus 337 is the modern day bar, I mean... That's going to be well within range here. So this is going to be a story on a negative connotation that we're going to have to follow. It's ridiculous. Um, This is the kind of stuff that drives me bonkers about the sport because every other sport has done really good work to make sure this doesn't happen. That teams don't strip themselves down so far that they are literally just a feed me kind of franchise, which which means we're going to put 9 to 11 guys out there they're going to try their asses off because they're professional athletes, but they have no capabilities to put together any kind of winning streaks. They don't. They aren't given the keys, the tools that a, that a franchise needs to give them, including a stadium that a benefits you, makes you feel comfortable, or puts seats in, but you know, you know, puts butts in seats to help give you a little bit of extra boost on a Thursday at one p.m. So. This stuff drives me bonkers, and uh, I hate to focus on the negative side of things too much because there's a lot of positives going on, but obviously this one's going to be a story to watch because they are going to contend with that Detroit Tigers minus 337. Uh, even if they fall halfway off, they're going to beat that number. So something to watch. I don't know if they even have a, you know, a way to get worse right now. Dan kind of mentioned there might be a prospect or two in the system that they could give up if that was the plan to really continue to rip things off and and push for I mean, they should have no trouble with draft pick rankings, let's put it that way. But historically bad start uh, after a historically great start for the Tampa Bay Rays, hopefully all of these things come back down to earth a little bit and the league gets a little bit more centered. And it is for the most part. There's plenty of, you know, hanging around the zero differentials, t- teens up, teens down. Uh, you know, that NL West is kind of a dogfighter right now with the Padres and the Dodgers and Arizona all around that 500 mark. The, uh, the NL East is as we thought, four teams hanging around that 500 plus mark. And the same goes for the AL West angels are 500. What else is new? Cleveland's 500. They're going to find themselves here at some point. And uh, the AL East has four teams at about 600 or better on the win percentage. So, it's tough to look away from that division with anything, but that's must see TV going forward, especially with the Tampa Bay Rays at 0.864 here off to a torrid, torrid start outside of that. It's time to start diving into some trade scenarios for some of those teams that we know are going to be at the bottom at selling off parts. And we got some injury situations. The Mets have been banged up. Next year's suspension certainly catapults that, uh, you know, what, how does Cleveland actually turn the keys around a little bit? Does Toronto need to make a step or two to stay in contention? Boston is over 500 in last place in the AL East. Do they think it's time to start spending some money and be an actual franchise again after two years off? Can the Phillies right the ship or, or is it really just a overachieved last year? We have to pull back the strings a little bit this year until Harper's healthy or will they make a push with a a splashy move? And uh, same goes for St. Louis, who have underachieved to start 2023. But many of us think that's a team that will write the ship and will be a factor down the stretch. So some teams with some players. Uh, it is the season of Otani. He has not disappointed. In fact, he and Trout remain AL MVP candidates. And uh, Otani's in the Cy Young conversation as well. He continues to impress. I know it's only April, but uh, it's going to be six months of closely watching and monitoring Shohei Otani because every little thing he does either at his level or even taking the next step, of course, is just going to add dollar signs to this conversation because we're already at five. There's some people out there saying six. I don't think it's crazy. All right. Aaron Judge did this one calendar year ago, and Aaron Judge is half the player, literally, (laughs) that Shohei Otani is. So if Judge surpassed our expectations contractually speaking. And there were two teams offering him $400 million. But it only takes one. And I think when the Dodgers and the Mets and the, maybe the Red Sox and maybe the Cubs, certainly the Angels are going to be in on this kind of bidding war. Maybe the Padres, maybe they're not done being, you know, as they've, they're have they trying with Soto. So that number's got to be near 500 million. It's got to be around there, 400, 500 million. So what's to say if they don't get that one done, that they won't be throwing that kind of money at an Otani offer as well? And then I put Seattle in this conversation as well. So I've got five teams off the top of my head that I think will have a five in front of their offer. So does that then build into a six? Yeah, that's how it gets there. That's how Judge got there, right? We had three teams for Judge. It kind of trickled, trickled up, and that's what happens. Well, those teams are all in on Otani. So... He's uh, he's holding court. Can he continue to stay healthy? That's obviously the big question. But as of right now, we are barreling down a path toward what could be the most historic contract in sports history in about six months time. So it's a lot of fun. And it's uh, it's something you should be watching in person if you're able to. And certainly as much on the uh, on the network as possible because this is a one and done situation. We're just not gonna see this kind of thing. It's not natural what he's doing. He's doing it consistently now for multiple seasons and 2023 is no different. Can the Angels continue to win ball games? I don't know. You know that's been the million dollar question for a decade now. But they look okay. You know Houston looks mortal this year a little bit especially with El Tuve out. Seattle hasn't had the start we thought they were going to have Texas has had that start, but I think they will come back down a little bit to earth. So it's there, it's there for the taking. And I hope that if the Angels already know they're out on Otani, if they know the where the number's going and they simply can't get there and or they know that their relationship has been fractured and he wants a change of scenery, obviously they would have that information right now, then it's got to be all in, right? It's got to be go buy a pitcher. It's got to be go buy... A first baseman—it's got to be everything. This next five months of, of major league baseball in Anaheim has to be all in, similar to what Washington did and Bryce Harper's last year. You know, instead of trading you and getting thirty cents on the dollar. And by the way, I hear that quite a bit. I hear I hear quite a, a lot of people say trading Otani at this deadline would bring back a franchise-changing hall. I'm not sure I agree with that. We didn't see that with Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. We didn't see that with Juan Soto. We And Juan Soto had two years left. We didn't see that with Mookie Betts in his expiring year. We didn't see that with Francisco Lindor. Now you can get a starter. You can get an A prospect. I'm not saying it's going to be a garbage haul, but I, I don't think that trading Otani in the final two months of his contract of his service time obligations to Anaheim is going to bring back a four or five pack of players that will set the angels up for 10 years of of success. That's just not how this works. That trade had to happen at least one, probably two off seasons ago to have even a chance of having that kind of package put together. That's just how this works. It's term left, time left. He's a rental at this point because there's no guarantee. I mean, unless that trade comes with a wink, wink and a signature on a $500 million extension. Now that's a different ball game, but I don't think that the angels trading Otani will do much more than replace one or two names on that roster. If that much, it's just how you know, the end of arbitration, the beginning of free agency works right now. You're a rental player at nothing else. So I'm hearing that quite a bit. I could be wrong. Maybe this player is so, so unique that just having him for two months in a postseason stretch is worth four prospects or two starters and two prospects. It's possible. It's very possible, but it's just not what we see, not in this game, not even with the biggest names in sports, some of whom have moved either at this deadline or even before the start of their final season. You know, even even Otani being traded in February, I don't think would have brought the haul that some are anticipating here. It's just not how this works, this business. It's uh, teams have smartened up with that sort of not like I, you know, how the NFL is still rogue with this stuff. And I guess the NBA to some degree, right? Go bear five first, Donovan Mitchell four first, but you know, some some are one or two players here and there go for a first and a second. Well, the NFL is completely rogue, you know, and we're going to see that more on Thursday with this draft and. Picks for picks and players and picks and all this stuff mashed together. Baseball's players only. Players only. Now you can trade some international bonus pool money. And that's been a factor for some organizations. And that may be a factor here, you know, as Anaheim looks to ramp up really a rebuild from that regard as well. So that could be a big part of this process and maybe a big part of that trade pool. But timing is everything, you know, in-season rental, Generally speaking, doesn't blow you off the doors. So, we'll see where this gets to. I, my point is, by the way, my long-winded point is: if they're here, if they're five hundred or better and hanging second or third in the division like they are right now, it's going to be all in. You know, we're keeping them. We're not going to trade them for thirty on the dollar. We're going to keep them. We're going to buy. We're going to try to get ourselves into a wild card situation, and we're going to at least cash in on a wild card round that includes Mike Trout and Shohei Ohtani on national TV. They have to do this, right? It's just, it's absurd that we haven't gotten that treat yet. So to me, that is the only thing they're thinking about right now is get in. Not what can we get for Ohtani? Not even what how much do we have to spend to keep Ohtani? It's let's get in right now. Because guess what? Winning can solve a lot of problems, right? And, and one of those problems might be how do we get this guy to come into our negotiating room and give us a chance to stay. Well, get yourself into the wild card, right? That's step one. And have him go through that experience of American baseball in October, which is very different than American baseball in April. Very different. Hockey has its own version of that for sure. So I I would assume that's where everything is right now. And they're hanging in, they're doing their job couple of tough losses, but I would expect them to be aggressive. Let's put it that way. And that's something we'll be monitoring as well. Let's talk a little NFL draft. Uh, I did a little bit of homework, not too much. I was out of town this weekend for a tournament. So I was uh, doing more thinking than writing, but I do have a piece that I'll post with just some notable notes about the number one overall pick, where things are headed this year, where, we, where we've where we been the last five years, and then just a, a, a nerdy quarterback deep dive because what the hell else matters right now, right? So i'm going to summarize that here a little bit for 15 minutes or so uh the number one pick this thursday should account for just under 41 million fully guaranteed uh scott allen has been pretty dead on with the math in terms of projecting what the rookie wage scale will break down to versus the salary cap increase he's projecting a four for 40.9 to the, to the number one overall with the signing bonus just under 27 million and of course a fifth year option with all of these first round picks the first 6 picks in this draft should guarantee 30 million plus according to our math. The first 11 should guarantee 20 plus. The first 20 should guarantee 15 plus. That's new. That's that's a nice step up here as the salary cap rises. The first round, which is now the 31st pick because Miami had to forfeit. Thanks Tom Brady. Uh right around 12 million. A little bit north of 12 million is where our projected math is for this. So 41 million for number one, 12 million for number 31. That's your first round range for 2023. Uh, And I always say this out loud because people don't realize it. But it's not just the fifth year option that you lose when you go from the first round to the second second and down. This is the drop off between the 31st final pick in the first round to the first pick in the second round. 12.1 million in the first round down to a $2.5 million drop into 9-9, right? So it's significant. It's millions to, hit, to get into the second round without that fifth-year option. Now, if you're a hell of a player getting drafted in the second round, there's something to that. Yep, you just lost yourself a couple million dollars. No question about it by being a second-round pick and not a first-round pick. However, you gain the leverage of not having a fifth-year option attached to you. And that sounds crazy, right? Because that's $15 to $25 million based on what, what position you play. Well, there's a reason Jalen Hurts just got a contract and Burrow's still waiting and Herbert's still waiting. Jalen Hurts was entering a contract year. Now you can say the franchise tag was sitting there. It was. It certainly was. But the franchise tag is not a team's discretion. They can offer it, but a player has to sign it in order to play for them. As we're learning with Lamar Jackson, Right. Lamar Jackson is technically a ghost standing out there with no team and no contract. He is a technical free agent because he has chosen not to sign his franchise tag. That's how this works. And by the way, Baltimore can trade him if he signs the franchise tag. So it's all about the contract. It's all about that tag. If it were a fifth year option, as we saw last year with with Lamar, that's, Built into the CBA, that's Baltimore's to dish out. That's going to be, you know, Carolina's to dish out to their number one overall pick this year. So there's a big difference between a, f- a four year contract with a franchise tag and a four year contract with a fifth year option. Jalen Hurts was basically I, at the will of his contract. He was entering a contract year. Obviously, he played himself into a contract situation that w- that benefited him. And he agreed to a deal that maybe wasn't as top of the market as some of these other quarterbacks are thinking about right now or negotiating for right now. It was all in his favor. So that's why he's sitting here with the contract unofficially, right? We still don't have the official breakdown of that yet, but it's a big difference. So while yes, you're losing literally millions, two and a half million to go from pick 31 to pick 32 this year. You're, if you can outplay that pick and many do early in the second round, You now gain the leverage of not having that fifth year option attached to you with which either A, gets you to free agency quicker or B, after that third year, puts a lot more pressure on the team knowing that there's a franchise tag situation coming, et cetera, et cetera. So especially for a quarterback, especially for an edge rusher, a position of power right now, a cornerback, it's not the worst thing in the world to have to forfeit a couple million knowing it might mean an earlier extension for you than maybe even a middle of the first round player who might be on par with you productivity wise. So it's not the worst thing in the world to slip to the second round. Uh, and it's one of the reasons we're seeing hypothetically more reaches at the back end of the first round versus trade outs. You know what I mean? So think about that when you're looking at some of these good teams that have later first round picks right now. If they take a guy and you think, what the, why wouldn't we just trade out and pick, get more picks? This is why. This right here is why. So if it's a middle line, let's put the Bills on this. You know my my local team. The Bills need a middle middle linebacker. They've been rumored for wide receivers and defensive tackles and an edge rusher and all these other positions, but they absolutely need a middle linebacker, an off-ball linebacker to replace Tremaine Edmonds. It's not an ideal first-round pick, even though Edmonds ended up working out in the long run. The reason Edmonds worked out in the long run is because he was a first-round pick. And they, ex- they exercised the fifth-year option. And between year four and year five, Edmonds became a bona fide starting center of the defensive player. He wasn't that year one, year two, and half of year three. I can tell you from proof. But he grew into that. And having the fifth-year option gave the Bills contractual a contractual chance to let him mature into that. And it benefited them greatly. And it benefited him financially. <laughs> Let's put it that way. That's why teams will do it. That's why if the Bills think they have to replace Edmonds, and there's a name sitting there at number 27 overall, where 10 years ago, 15 years ago, every other team saying, no, 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 we'll find a third rounder. Let's get ourselves an extra second round pick and get out of this pick. More teams now, because of the fifth fifth year option, because of the CBA, are going to say, I'd rather have the opportunity to control this guy's fifth year. More teams will do it. Belichick will do it more often. All the all the old dogs, most of the old dogs who were set in their ways, have come around to the fact that this rookie wage scale is too much value. Speaking of which, let's talk about the last five first round picks quickly. I've uh, I've detailed a little bit more than this in the article on spottrek.com, but last year Trayvon Walker, kind of a surprise, the uh, the late betting favorite that came in, the defensive end for Jacksonville, it wasn't. It wasn't a first a number one overall year. Let's put it that way. It's hard to do. It's hard to live up to the billing. Uh, some smart people out there think he never will. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because Trevor Lawrence, right? The 2021 number one overall looked kind of like this in his first season. And there was a coach problem and there was a system problem and there was an all about whatever. I mean, you know, the Urban Meyer story. So I'm going to say that Walker just needed a little bit more help defensively something that they've taken a lot of pride in and they're going to continue to do in this draft, I promise. Whereas the focus this time last year was we need, we need to give Trevor Lawrence weapons, offensive line, and a, and a coaching staff that, can, that knows how to develop him properly. That's done. check mark. Now it's, let's work on our defensive line and certainly our secondary. And if they've picked the right names, and I think they have in some degree, everybody's going to come up, including Walker. He got outplayed by Hutchinson, the number two overall. There's no question about that, but it's one year, it's early, no need to overreact. Uh, 2021, I mentioned Lawrence, again, disastrous year one, but looked very much the part last year with a, with all those, those reasons I just mentioned. Um, he jumped from 32 to 11 in pro football focus. That tells you it's not just Flat stats that he's throwing out there. He's doing a lot of things correctly, including using his legs, which he saw in college quite a bit. I think you'll see more of that in 2023 as things really round out and the more and downfield offense starts to pick up with this team. And uh, he's going to become extension eligible after 2023, so he's playing for his next contract right now. A lot of reasons to like Trevor Lawrence. Let's put it that way. 2020 was Joe Burrow. Have you heard of him? He's the next big contract coming, of course. Uh, 2021 was a rough start hit the injury the bengals weren't ready yet offensive line wise and and really in a lot of ways not ready yet but back-to-back number one graded quarterback according to pff back-to-back postseason runs obviously a super bowl run in there he's completing nearly 70 percent of his passes the the average uh, quarterback rating for the past two seasons is 104 I don't even know what else you could ask from this guy. Maybe a little bit more from his legs at times. Although in the postseason, he did plenty of that. I think he's the prototypical QB one in this league right now. I put him up there in the elite tier, something I'll be doing soon. And his his contract is going to be in that elite tier as well, because there's going to be some give and take, just like Jalen Hurts did. You know, there's some metrics in Jalen Hurts' contract, at least reportedly, that are going to be at the top of of the market. And there's going to be some that are going to be third and there's going to be some that are going to be 15th, you know? And a lot of it is how the team chooses to structure this thing and how Joe Burrow allows them to structure this thing. But it's hard for me to believe this isn't going to be 50 million a year. It's hard for me to believe this isn't going to be a $200 million guarantee. And after that, what more do you really want? You know, guarantee me the next four seasons. Let's not go crazy to the point of where you can't keep Jamar Chase. And you can't consider keeping T Higgins who needs a contract as well over the next 18 months. And you can't keep the offensive line churning like we're doing right now. And you can't rebuild the secondary like we have to do probably this week, this weekend. So I think there's going to be a little bit of give and take, but the numbers should be eye popping still, because this is the NFL. The salary cap is going to continue to rise. And these owners have made billions over the past two decades, so it's time for uh, players like this to really cash in big, and Joe Burrow will. 2019 was Kyler Murray. Speaking of cashing in big, he signed a four-year, thirty-five point six million dollar contract. This was four years ago, so we've gone from thirty-five in 2019 to what we we assume will be about forty-one million in 2023. But the number one overall pick signing bonus was just over twenty-three. Uh, he was three and done in that rookie deal he did get better every year. All right. So I know we've crapped on him here a lot. I know a lot of networks and, and, and metrics have pushed back on Kyler Murray and his postseason stuff has been ugly and his clutch stuff has been uglier, but he has improved every single year. So it wasn't a crazy decision for Arizona to comply to his little mini holdout over the offseason there and pay him this contract. But I'm not sure it had to be last offseason. I don't think he was going anywhere. The CBA actually protected Arizona quite a bit from him actually holding out. He would have lost an accrued year of time if he missed camp. I don't think that's anything he wanted to deal with, right? Because that, that just takes... That gives Arizona one more year of leverage against him from a service time t- standpoint. So I think they gave in one off season too early. Now, hindsight is 20, twenty twenty. There's the injury to talk about all that. This is probably, especially, and he was on the younger side as well. So this is probably a situation where they jumped the gun too early, they caved a little bit too early, ended up firing the GM, ended up firing the coach, ended up firing everybody, ended up trading tons of pieces. And I don't think they're done because Buddha Baker and DeAndre Hopkins both want out as well. So now we've got this big honking $231 million quarterback extension and a semblance of a roster around him. It's not good. Can they load up on draft picks this in the next couple of days? And then again for next season, yes, can you hit and turn this thing around quickly? Yes, we've seen it happen. Is it likely? No, it's not likely. Uh, It's more likely that Kyler Murray is sort of a lone dog on this roster now for the next five seasons when his guarantees basically end out. But I'm not going to sit here and project that. I'm just telling you this is how it generally works in this league. It's going to be really hard for them to rip away all the veterans, start start over through the draft and do enough work quickly enough to satisfy this quarterback contract. It's backwards thinking, right? Generally it's build an experienced, expensive roster and then drop a rookie contract, quarterback contract into it. And then if you have to pay that rookie quarterback with a veteran contract, you let some things slide off to make sure you can fit it in and you try to keep the train going. They have the big honking quarterback contract. They're ripping off all the experienced contracts. And they're going to try to backfill this thing with rookie deals. And that's just a recipe for disaster. It's not impossible. Just doesn't happen often in this league. They're going to try. They're certainly going to try. That's obviously their approach here. 2018 was Baker Mayfield. It was just another stab in the dark for Cleveland, really. Baker had all the tools and we've seen signs. We've seen plenty of flashes that he can do this thing. Just can't do it consistently. And there's no way he can do it for 18 weeks, in my opinion. He's going to get a shot. All right. He made almost $49 million over his first five seasons, including that fifth year option that got kind of got a split up between Cleveland, Carolina, and the Rams. And uh, he's got a one-year $4 million fully guaranteed contract with Tampa Bay. I think he's going to compete for that job. Kyle Trask is at least going to have a sniff at this thing. And who knows? Tampa Bay may be looking at a second round quarterback as well this year to uh, see if they can supplant themselves for the next couple of seasons. Otherwise, It's going to be Baker Mayfield off this roster. Mike Evans probably off this roster. Godwin's a maybe, right? Levante David, piece, Shaq Barrett. They're all going to come off here. And it's going to be trimmed down to a somewhat of a younger core. And really, let's reinvigorate this offensive line around Tristan Wirfs and try to do this the right way, right? Just what I just said. Let's do this. Let's build our trenches, Let's keep a couple of secondary pieces around so we can try to win some ballgames defensively. We'll reset our weapons when, when it's time, but it's about building this offensive line, finding the next quarterback, and then going from there. That's how I see 2024 plus for the Buccaneers. But Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask can change my mind. There's no question about it. I just don't think it's the, uh, the right scenario, the right recipe for success there. Okay, a couple thoughts on quarterbacks in the draft, and we'll get out of here. This one surprised me. If I told you that five years ago in 2018, 13 quarterbacks were drafted, and it's the most amount of quarterbacks drafted in those five years. And in fact, for the most part, it's been a gradual decrease. Here's the five years leading up to 2023, total number of quarterbacks drafted. 2018 had 13, then 11, then 12, then 10, and nine last year. Now look, it's based on the crop you have. You're, you you deal with the hand you're dealt. But that surprised me because we have seen some undrafted players kind of come out of nowhere. Certain And certainly, a you know, maybe the name from last year that anybody really cares about is Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. So we, damn near another UDFA hit coming out of nowhere. That's something to watch. Are teams simply not taking quarterbacks unless it's a bona fide first rounder? Maybe. I can tell you right now, the, uh, the middle rounds are basically just toast. It's either one or four and out two and three have really fallen off here quite a bit. Um, what I did and I've got it in the piece that I post is I've assessed where these players are. Are they starters? Are they competing for starting or starting job? Are they a definite backup or are they out of the league? All those numbers I just gave you. So for instance, with 2018, there's two bona fide starters. Well, one and a one asterisk, right? It's Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, I think. He's certainly a starting quarterback. I'm just not sure if he's going to be available to start in 2023. Then we got Baker, Mayfield, and Sam Darnold in that competing job. Again, I'm I'm never going to say that a quarterback on the 49ers isn't competing for the starting role because who the hell knows? Injuries and scheme and whatever the hell could, a- could happen there. And then I've got Mason Rudolph, Mike White, and Logan Woodside. They're going to back up in 2023 if they make the roster. So that's how I laid this out. Of the X number of quarterbacks since 2018 drafted, I've got it at 13, totally out of the league. Chance to be signed for a you know, a minimum competing role, camp body kind of thing. But 13 of them are totally out of the league. 16 are starting right now, or at least should be starting right now. I think Mac Jones and Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter and even Brock Purdy are at least TBDs. But 16 starting quarterbacks out of the last five drafts, that's half the league. That's half the league. That's where we're going. There's no question about it. And there's plenty more of those with rookie contracts kind of hanging out there as well. So I don't think that's going to change. I I think in any five-year span, as long as the rookie wage scale remains intact, half of the league is going to be operating via that that scale, via that value. Maybe even at times more, right? Because the cycles could phase in and out. Now, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields probably get paid next year. Herbert probably gets paid this year. Burrow this year. Tua probably next year, if at all. Jordan Love is going to be in this conversation. Jalen just got paid. All right. Lamar, at some point in time, is going to get an extension. So things are going to turn over here fairly quickly. Fairly quickly. And the 2022 crop might never get paid. You know, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, Brock Purdy. They might never get paid. So what I'm telling you is the rookie wage scale is doing its job. And it isn't limiting quarterbacks, good quarterbacks from getting paid. Is it limiting other players in other positions? Yes. There's no question about it, especially the running back. We talked about it quite a bit with Barkley and Josh Jacobs and, and anybody not named Derrick Henry and Christian McCaffrey, to be honest. So it is suppressing the middle class of this, of this sport, but it is empowering the superstars. There's no question about that either. And the smart teams know that it's better to pay now, immediately, as soon as possible, even though you're forfeiting some of that rookie contract value. Take what you can get for three years on the rookie wage scale. Pay the extension immediately. Structure it cap properly so you get more cap value in year four, maybe even in year five, and give yourself a chance to get out by age twenty-nine. And by get out, I mean another contract if they're still great, and or start the process back over with a rookie, a drafted rookie, and and, and reset your value process at that point in time. But you don't want to be you want to be dealing with rookie wage scale. Aging veteran on on a, on a veteran contract, and then have to restart the process two years too late, a la Matt Ryan in Atlanta, right? Phillip Rivers everywhere. There's a real smart structure to how this is working now, and it involves players getting paid. And this is something I'm hoping more positions can be picked up with. Three years, four years, start the process over, or garner that really special third contract. Third, you know, second veteran, third overall contract, where essentially in the NBA, right? That's your super max 35% deal. That's for the elite crews. That's the elites. That's the Aaron Rodgers. That's the Russell Wilson. I I had to swallow myself a laugh right after before saying that. That's the Russell Wilson, right? Certainly Brady got t- tidbits of those in one two-year extensions, but. That's where we're going. I think 80% of the league will operate with three a, a first-round quarterback, three years on the rookie deal, four years on the veteran contract. One or two of those might get the third contract. Most of them go back to step one and start over. And they've done so with a draft pick in year five, maybe year six. It's going to traditionalize is my point. We had a, a, formula, a formulaic structure with this. 20 years ago, right? And they were paying rookies $50 million back then. So now it's three plus four plus maybe. Reset the process. Why can't that be for everybody? Especially for positions where age is appropriate, where age is a factor, like the running back, left wide receiver, to some degree like the tight end, a position we've seen fall off an absolute cliff financially speaking. total Total fall off. And I don't think Kyle Pitts is ready to fix that yet. So I'm seeing a lot of trends, a lot of numbers, again, more efficiency, even out of the drafting at this position. And I'm hoping this is something that can trickle down to everything else. Because I think the power of the first round pick, regardless of the position, like I said, even the off-ball linebacker in a Tremaine Edmonds type situation, the power of having five years of control allows a player to have an injury, allows a player to have one bad year, and instead of everything getting thrown off and that player just getting tossed aside, the team can now say, no, no, we've got time. We're now, we're now going to move everything up one year. So if we were, it was going to be three and then an extension, now it's going to become four and an extension. We've got the fifth year to handle that. It's really important. It's a really important way for teams to identify, to build, to manage mistakes, and to reset themselves on the fly, like I just laid out. How you stagger your first round picks becomes really important. So for instance, with the Jets, they're going to be in a world of hurt here soon because of they've had multiple first round picks that they've taken that have hit. Sounds like a great, great situation, right? It is. Except for when you start talking about the contracts and you've got four guys lined up contractually speaking on this three plus four process. Gets really hard to manage. It gets really hard to bill. Gets really hard to maintain from a cash perspective you know it's not my money but it's, it seems like something that would be difficult so can you stagger it obviously can you hit on the pick and then can you get through the process and assess the uh, you know assess and evaluate properly so that when you do go to extend out of that first round contract that first round rookie contract that a You're in the right window to do so contention-wise. It's the right position to be doing this at. And there's a clear out at some point to to allow you to reset without having to tear everything down and or to get to that third contract without absolutely destroying your franchise, which is what Dallas is going to try to do with Dak Prescott right now. A player who did not have the benefit of a fifth-year option, who had to go to the double franchise tag route, and you can see how painful that is. All right, They had a lot of roster pain because of what they had to do with dax contract and obviously baltimore is paying for it because they didn't get the third year extension done now uh, was that their fault i'm not sure i don't know maybe lamar has been uh holding out for a long long time here for for uh, you know for fully guaranteed even before deshaun watson came became a thing but i would look back at that third year when josh allen did get the contract and lamar jackson didn't as a real turning point in that baltimore franchise because if we should be talking about a situation where he's got two more years guaranteed, basically fully guaranteed. And then we're thinking about what's next for him, for for Baltimore. And instead, we're not even there yet. We're not even, we're not even at the point of when do the guarantees fall off? Because right now, it's zero. It's absolutely zero. Will Lamar Jackson be traded during this draft? I don't believe so. I believe there will be some names moved. I think DeAndre Hopkins is in that camp. I think Buda Baker's in that camp. I think Aaron Rodgers is in that camp. So, it's going to be uh exciting. The reason that we haven't factored our draft pool numbers into our salary caps for those who are asking, there's too much moving. It's too fluid. All right? How many first round picks are going to get moved around and or backed out of in the next 72 hours? More than you think. All right, Scott and I tr- track all these trades Map all of these trades. We have the ability to f- tell you what the number one pick in, or the first round pick for the Rams four years ago now looks like now eight or nine iterations later because it's been traded three, four times and blah, blah, blah. There's a lot to it. So rather than try to compete and get those numbers factored in right now into the top 51 when 85% of the numbers don't even matter, we're just going to let the cards play out through the draft. And then as contracts are signed, they officially hit the salary cap. It's how most accounting in sports works. I just went through the WNBA draft. Rookie contracts in WNBA don't even hit until the first game. So you can sign your your rookies, have them come in. For all intents and purposes, WNBA rookies and NBA rookies too are just training camp bodies on rookie contracts. And they got to make the team to actually account towards your books. It's kind of a nice way to look at it. And it's why I, I pause the breaks on people that are pounding and pounding the table for how are we going to pay our draft picks in January. It just doesn't matter. You're, you're going to be fine. Okay. I promise you there's an edge rusher on your team that you can do a cap conversion with and, and sign your first round pick tomorrow in like five minutes. It, it happens so frequently all year long in season, out of season, off season, February, before free agency, during free agency, before the draft, after the draft, there's so many ways to free up 1.5 million to sign, you know, to get your your four round four year contract on the books. It's so it's very possible. All right, all the time. So good to know about it. There's teams with $13, $15 million draft pools right now for all their draft picks. The reason I'm not highlighting them yet is because it's all gonna change. I would guess 28 out of the 32 teams are gonna make some kind of manipulation. Some, right? they are there are Factor in a seventh round trade, they give up on a sixth round pick, something that changes their draft pool ever so slightly. And then there'll be teams that gut it, right? Completely ditch their first round pick or ditch a second and a third to go up and add a first round pick. Significant draft pool changes. So I'm not going to highlight things too much. You know who has the multiple firsts, you know who has the chance of topping that list right now. Um, There's going to be a lot of movement. So rather than Try to prepare for that movement i'm just going to let the movement happen and then react to it and we'll show you what it means from a salary cap standpoint after this upcoming weekend where things kind of stand positionally speaking what happened who went who went up and down draft pool wise uh significantly speaking all those kind of uh post stats but uh again i'm not going to sit here and try to prepare for that knowing that it's all going to get ripped up to shreds here in just about 72 hours enjoy the draft i should be back probably the Friday morning after the thir- after the first round to recap that a little bit and talk about some of these projected contracts. I'll be tweeting those at Trek. So when uh, Bryce Young gets picked number one overall, we'll be projecting him at four years and just under 41 million with a $27 million signing bonus and a fifth year option. So that's going to be the tweet you're going to see. I'll try to do that for at least the top 10s. We'll try to make sure we have agencies and all that figured out as much as possible, as detailed as we can be at this time without, again, these contracts not factoring towards salary caps until they're actually signed. It's going to come quickly. Um, with the rookie wage scale and the slotted stuff, generally, these players now have very little leverage. There's obviously the offset situation, the offset language, some training camp roster bonuses that get built into a couple of years, some workout bonuses for some teams that do that. But for the most part, it's really clear cut. It's really formulaic, uh, which makes signings quicker, easier, simpler, and with less negoc- negotiation. So They'll be hitting those caps soon, just not yet. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Trade Podcast.